What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Write Who You Know. I'm Matt Hausfetter, and this is the Screenwriting Podcast. It's the behind the scenes of the behind the scenes. Man, it's um, it's going to be a little bit of a different one uh, for a couple reasons. By the time you listen to this, uh, I am probably drunk and stoned uh, somewhere on Martha's Vineyard. Actually, I take that back. I don't even really like drinking anymore. I'm just going to be high. I'm going to be high parenting, and that's what I'm going to be doing, and I'm going to be in Martha's Vineyard. Um, but uh, before I get there, before I get on the plane, we have an incredible episode today. Uh, Will McCormick is on the podcast. He is so rad. He's a writer. He's a director. He's a producer. He's an actor. He has written uh, movies like Celeste and Jesse with Rashida Jones, uh, which he also did Toy Story 4. Uh, he has, you know, executive produced TV shows like Claws. He was on The Sopranos famously playing Dr. Melfi's son. Uh, he is the Oscar winning co-writer of the animated short, If Anything Happens, I Love You, which you should check out now. It's streaming on Netflix. It's really awesome, incredibly moving and poignant. There's going to be a lot of fun, but also some serious shit. So uh, get ready, sit back, relax. Here's my interview with awesome, all-around cool dude, writer, producer, director, just super handsome guy, Will McCormick. Pass. Nope. We love Matt. It's just a really hard time right now. The industry's contracting. Come back to us when you have some bigger attachments. Tell them write what you know. No, tell them write who you know. I guess I'll just ask, like, did you know you wanted to be a writer or first were you like, I'm going to be an actor or were you a writer who was like, uh, uh I mean, that's such a, um, deep, deep question. Do you want me to run it all the way back? Sure. I'm just curious. Like, where did you get the bug to even like want to be in entertainment? You know, um, I grew up in Plainfield, New Jersey, and I always loved stories and storytelling and films. I mean, Every day I was riding my BMX bike to the video den and um, renting whatever strange, esoteric French film I could find or that they let me rent. Like I was obsessed with movies. But no one in my family was in the movie business and it didn't seem like something that was actually like a legitimate career. Yeah. Being from Plainfield, New Jersey. Um, but then um, in college... Um, I, I also think like stories for me from like a very young age, I think I was always like trying to find a way to be in the world and stories were a way that could allow me to be in the world that was like less painful than being in the actually world. Yeah. Like I was sort of in my head in the movies as a kid. Yeah. Um, and then in college, um, uh, oh, oh, when I was, when I was little, um, I I wrote um, and I I wrote a poem that won a a contest in the local paper. How old are you? Seven. Holy shit. That's um, pretty cool. And it was about um, my mom. A dragon killed my mom, and and then um, I killed the dragon. Of course, I made myself <laughs> had a hero. To. Yeah, had to kill that <laughs> dragon. Um, and it was Oedipal and weird and dark. And um, I won I won the the poetry contest in the local paper. At that point, I froze up. I panicked because everyone was like, you're going to be a, you're going to be a writer. You're going to be a writer. I was like, Oh my God, I'm going to be a writer. Everyone thinks I'm going to be a writer. Now I have to be good. And I started getting in my head at yeah. like age seven. Uh -huh. You know, This sounds really, <laughs> really good for a seven year old <laughs> mentally. Um, 
I also this this is this is a part of my story too. Like I I started drinking and using drugs at a very young age, which was also a way for me to escape the world. So like, like preteen, are we talking? Yeah, like at the time that I fell in love with movies, I also fell in love with. Um, Bartles and James wine coolers and whatever I could get my hands on, which yeah. was also a way for me to like be in the world, but like not feel the pain that I felt. I was just like a, as a little kid, I was very um, emotional. I had a lot of big feelings that I had a lot of honestly shame around, you know, like I was like, I didn't know what to do with all of these big feelings. Meaning you were shameful because like you were so emotional and, and you were able to be cognizant of like, why am I, so affected by the world at seven years old yeah i think i i think i always felt like really really you know i'm sure a lot of artists are this way and a lot of people not just artists i don't think it's endemic to artists but i felt like very sensitive like i felt like very impacted by the world around me i also was very passionate about everything like if i fell in love with something i went super super hard whether that was bartles and james wine coolers or renting movies or like i'm all in you know um, but when I was in college, um, I, I did a, a play, I did a Shakespeare play as an actor, as an actor, which play, um, it was a winter's tale okay. by William Shakespeare. I heard played, of it. I played Florizel and, um, I had this, like, I had, a, I had a spiritual experience. I had a blackout on stage, not from booze, but from like acting. And I, I don't remember the performance, but I remember coming off stage after and people saying like, oh, you were great. And I have no recollection of the play. But I remember, I remember, I remember doing theater in college and thinking like, this is something that I could potentially do with my life, be a part of storytelling. And, 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 and in fact, after that play, I knew that for the rest of my life, I would be a part of storytelling in one way or another. I, I just didn't quite know how yet, but I knew that I wasn't terrible at acting. And, it, yeah. it, you know, for my whole life, I felt confused. I felt like, oh, this doesn't quite work. I'm not quite good at that. But once I was in the theater and at Trinity College where I went, um, there's also the greatest independent movie theater in the world called Cine Studio. And I worked there and I saw hundreds of films, hundreds. I worked security. So if someone's like having a soda, you have to say like, hey, <laughs> But I, you know, that's where I saw, you know, Kieslowski movies and my first Richard Linklater movies. And I, it was where I really, you know, was just um, absorbing cinema in a way that would pay off later that I didn't even know at the time. Yeah. But um, I moved to um, New York after I graduated college and I was the theater actor and I was very, you know, dramatic about drama. Like I took it very seriously. And yeah. I did a lot of off-Broadway theater. Um, and um, I loved it. Um, it like felt, it sounds corny, but it felt, um, um, it felt like eudaimonic. It, for, for the f philosophical term, I felt like I was a part of something that mattered. Like I, I believed like, you know, storytelling matters. And I, it, was, it was so cool to be a part of theater, you know, New York City theater yeah. and be a part of that culture. It was like, um, it was like a dream come true, you know? And then, um, and then I always wanted to write. I always wanted to write. And, and um, I, I used to, but I, but I didn't have anything to say, really. And every time I sat down to write, um, I was just writing like whoever I loved. Same. Whatever, whatever Dude, right. 100%. <laughs> I read Lesson Zero, and I was like, I'm Brady Stanellis now. Same. Every <laughs> single time. Or I would write, I would go to coffee shops and just write 
about wanting to be a writer. I have journals filled with writing about wanting to be a writer, which is so sad. Um, but I, but I got jobs, you know, like I, I got, I was on the Sopranos and I got, I got some jobs and actually like film, film acting became sort of more interesting than theater acting to me. Um, and, um, I was able to, you know, pay off my college loans with acting and I was able to get an agent. Yeah. And I was able to, um, you know, make a okay living, you know, as an actor, um, but at the same time, like my my drinking got worse, and um, and my drug abuse got worse, and um, I was actually I was actually in L.A. and uh, I had come to L.A. and I did a play at the Geffen, and then um, I did a couple films out here, and I just had like a really a really gnarly bottom. And um, how old were you? Fuck, thirty three. You know, yeah. so I'd been drinking since I was 12. So I was like two decades in. Yeah. And um, was I was anyone in your family aware of this or your friends or was this just like you in secrecy? Yeah. People were aware. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I only tell this because this, this this has a lot to do with why I became a writer. Yeah. Um, I I went to an AA meeting and, you know, I admitted that I was powerless and that my life had become unmanageable and I wept. I literally sobbed and I could not stop crying. And I knew in that moment that I would never have to take a drink again. And I felt such enormous relief and gratitude. Um, well, good for, first of all, good for you for having the ability to know when it would, you know, when your ticket is up and it was, it was up, dude, it was up at 13. Yeah. I mean, it was up, you know, I had spent decades, you know, and I just, but I say that all because when I quit drinking or when I was given the grace to, you know, have the opportunity to, you know, to surrender to that, um, way of life, I, I decided that I was going to write like I drank and I went ham, you know, you yeah. turned that into productivity. Yeah, and and you know, having had all of these you know gigantic feelings, and you know, I think that's why I gravitated towards acting and writing. It was a place where like they, I could use them, and they were assets. Yeah, you were accepted for being totally emotional like, and dramatic. Um, yeah, those things like you know being emotional, those and having those emotions accessible to me were things that um, were real advantages. You know. Um, so I, I, I signed up for a, a writing class. I took writer's boot camp in Santa Monica and they started to teach me about structure and I knew all of it. Like from, I had from just from watching movies, I'd seen 50,000 yeah. movies. I like literally, I was like, Oh, right. That's going to happen on page 12. Let's abstract that and do something, you know? So I knew sort of knew the format and, um, and it was really, really exciting. I, I wrote a movie called Pizza and Thunder. It's a great title. Not terrible. No. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and um, I, I, I was, um, I've, I've been great friends with, um, with Rashida Jones for forever. And um, we, uh, we always talked about writing something together and we never got our acts together. We would just go and drink coffee and talk about writing and, and, uh, we sat down and we had we had both been through really gnarly breakups where we were just shattered and we thought, let's write a movie about what it feels like to just be shattered. And we wrote um, Celeste and Chessie Forever 
and um, it, you know, was like on the blacklist. And then you it's know, it's a great it, movie, dude. Thank you, dude. We tried to get Lee Tolan Krieger to direct my blacklist movie right after Celeste and Jesse came out because oh, yeah. I liked it so much. Oh, yeah. thank you, man. Thank you. It's a great movie. Thank you. Yeah, it was. It was great. It was a great feeling to also feel like, you know. I, the best feeling in writing, which is so rare, is when like you see or hear, when you can feel the sound of your own voice. Yeah. Um, and that was a moment where I felt like, oh, that feels like a like a, a really true representation of um, what we wanted to say. And I, I, you know, I give Lee a lot of credit for that. He's super talented, directive, and really sensitive and thoughtful, and I think knocked it out of the park. But yeah. you know, the movie came out. It did pretty well. It got like um, great. it got like a great review in the New York Times. And that for me, like growing up, having read the New York Times, I felt like, you know, I felt like legitimate in a way like my, my parents would accept me. Yeah, too. they could see it like literally it's like, here's proof, mom and dad, like in the thing you read all the time. Like, right. They're talking about me. Yeah. Yeah. I know. My poor dad, when, when I graduated college, it was like, what are you going to do? I was like, I'm going to move to New York City, man. I'm going to I'm going to write and act and play guitar, you know, like literally no plan. He's um, like, cool. Enjoy living in Washington Square Park. <laughs> But yeah, it's been. Um, but and then all of a sudden, and that year, um, I sold a pilot to show, Rashid and I actually sold a pilot to Showtime. So in two in one year, we had sold a you know a movie and um, and a pilot, and, and it was super exciting. I also didn't really know how to write, <laughs> you know, like yeah. craft and technique sure. had to catch up to that. Yeah, there's um, a I, I forget who, but I think it's Ira Glass who has yeah. this quote about like talent and taste, and they don't intersect for a long time, and so your tastes are so high until you're talent can catch up to that you're you know you're trying to emulate other people like you said yeah and then finally you know they sort of intersect and that's where you know you end up doing your best work yeah for sure for sure yeah yeah it, it's humbling writing i mean you know it's you know having acted for a long time too and read so many screenplays you think um well you know th no one ever you know did anyone ever read this out loud and you know is this lived in and um and then you sit down to do it and you realize oh it's it's really hard you yeah. know um, but it's been a, you know, um, I, 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 people say like, you know, if, if you enjoy screenwriting, then you must not be a very good screenwriter. Um, I don't think that that's true. I mean, um, my still like, you know, aside from being with my kids and my wife, like the best part of my day is, um, other than when I'm with you, Matt, the best part of my day is when I get to sit down and, and, you know, write it's for me, it's still, it's so exciting and. You know. Yeah, I agree. I, you know, there are so many writers I know. They're like, I hate writing. I love having written, but I hate writing. And I, I'm like, dude, where else? Like, truly, writing to me is kind of like time traveling because four hours will go by like that if you're focusing in the zone and, you know, your computer clock in the top right. You're just like, where did the fucking time go? I mean, I'm listening to Bill Evans and I'm drinking yeah. espresso. Yeah, you like, fucking listen to music. To quote Bull Durham, like, Sears sucks. I sold Lady Kenmore's at Sears. Like, I used to work at Foot Locker. Like, if you've had a real fucking job out there, like, writing and listening to, like, really good jazz music, breaking, <laughs> drinking espresso, <laughs> it's a great job. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yes, yeah. it is. Wait, Will, before before I get into the later stuff, I have to ask you, because it was such like a, a cultural lightning bolt, when you did get that job on The Sopranos, was it the big cultural phenomenon that it was already? Yes. Like, were were your family, or you like, holy fuck, I'm in, you're, I'm in The Sopranos? We, I, I didn't know that it was, I, I mean, no one knew that it would be maybe the most iconic TV show ever. Yeah. I mean, there's a, two or three other shows that could claim that, but. I remember once <laughs> when I was like, I think Mad Men is it. You were like, you fucking idiot. It's <laughs> Sopranos. <laughs> um, 
Well, you know, I'm also from Jurors. I know. I know. And That's my, okay. My mom is a therapist. And, oh, uh, wow, I didn't know that. So you had like lived in the uh, in Jason Melfi's uh, clothes before yeah, you inhabited him. Yeah, and my mom um, look. My mom is also beautiful. She looks like, but she looks a lot like Lorraine. Oh my god! And did the people that did like the casting people know this, or just like no, coincidence? No, it was all. It was Bashert. It was intended. It was meant to be. Incredible. Yeah, yeah. And we shot um, the first day we shot. We shot in uh, Verona, New Jersey, where my dad was born. So we're the, all these intersecting circles. It was really cool. But no, when I when 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 the Sopranos came out, it, it was a phenomenon. And you know, I was still broke. Like I was still catering. You know, so yeah. I was offering people, you know, mushroom phyllo bundles with the champagne wasabi <laughs> dipping sauce, and they were like, "You're that guy <laughs> on the Sopranos." And I was like, "Yes, I'll take that shrimp tail for you." <laughs> <laughs> so it was sort of famous, but. It was cool, you know. That was an that was an electric time to be in New York. Yeah. You know, it was the the late nineties in New York is was the golden era. Yeah, you know. Yeah, the music was good. The TV was good. Yeah, you could live in Manhattan. Um, it was it was a golden age, you know. And so, all right. So now I'll go back after after. Sopranos, did you want to continue acting, or was were you yet in the like I'm gonna can you know write. I, I was always, you know, I, I got acting jobs and I, I made a little money acting and um, I wasn't terrible. And I, you know, so I, I, I was enjoying being act, an actor, but like in the, you know, in the back of my mind, in the back of my soul, I really, truly wanted to be a writer. I just, I just didn't have the courage. Yeah. And, um, and, and, you know, be, getting sober had a lot to do with that for me, M- mostly everything to do with that for me, because I was just like, no longer, I was like, I, I couldn't, I couldn't live with myself any longer, yeah. truly, if I, if I, you know, talked about writing and didn't write, yeah. I just felt like I was a fraud. Yeah. And so I had to like face myself and it, it wasn't that terrible. I, I was able to like accept the sound of my own voice and, um. You know, I, I can be really hard on myself in, in in a lot of areas, but when it when it comes to writing, I really am pretty non-judgmental and kind to myself. I just think of it as typing. And I'm love to work. Yeah. You know, like I I love marathons. Like I'm if you sit tell me I can, you know, I have to run twenty six point two miles, that's fine. And um and um, I'll just get up tomorrow, and I'll make it a little better, and then the day after, a little better. And I, 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 I'm okay with the process. I love the process. Yeah, yeah. I hope that's not annoying. No, to no, dude. dude listen, there. David Foster Wallace once talked about how when he was struggling with addiction, he had this like what he thought was like this very American idea that he could just get better if he just got up and ran like yeah. fucking twenty miles every day. Uh, or as much as he could until his legs literally turned to jelly, where he felt, I can outrun my addiction, I can outrun all of the things that bother me simply by being better or attempting to do better you know, every day until. So definitely not annoying. Yeah. All. You're in yeah. good company. Good, good. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so when you, after Celeste and Jesse in the Showtime pilot, did you and Rashida sort of realize, like, you know, we're having, we're on a streak, like we should continue doing this together? Yes. I mean, you know, she has such a f- um, successful and robust um, acting career, too. But we, um, you know, we produce together. Yeah. And uh, the train train. The train train. That's right. Where does that, that name come from? What is the. Uh... 
uh, provenance. We, we were, we were, we went to, we, we were having some type of like crisis in life and we went to a total immersion French language school in Villefranche. That sounds like a life crisis movie. Yeah, you're absolutely <laughs> right, dude. <laughs> and we were like, let's move to France and learn how to speak French. And um, there's this cool expression in French called le train train, which means um, the daily grind. Ah, that's cool. And we thought that that was just sort of a perfect description of I think what so. Hollywood feels like. Yes. But it was like a sexy definition of it yeah which is also hollywood you know it is. yeah you know uh, uh, you know there's the glitter and the grind you know and so. so what like after that pilot and celeste and jesse were you guys getting offered gigs now because of the success of that movie like where where did that sort of did it take you to another level where you weren't yet like just sort of what was the momentum and the thrust out of that it was exciting i mean you know um i i i've been fortunate to you know, I'm, I've been, I've been, you know, largely employed since yeah. then, you That's know? Awesome. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm able to, you know, write a couple things a year and they don't always get made, but, um, I'm able to mainly write things that I want to. And yeah. I feel like I always get those projects or pursue those projects at studios where that one exec has that book that they love and they let that exec like buy that book and may, and, you know, make a screenplay from it but it's actually never going to get made yeah. like that i <laughs> honestly it's an honor to get those <laughs> i don't care <laughs> totally um but yeah we we've um we were able to like make a make a living and make a career and um um i i, I think for the most part P celeste and jesse forever was sort of um you know it's technically a romantic comedy but it's it's a pretty sad movie underneath that but we got a lot a lot of um, romantic comedy offers and for the most part, I sort of we tried to stay away from that, um, and we've had our own rhythms with like, you know, producing together and then writing a thing here and there together, or we do our own projects separately. Um, but first things first was um, our friendship was always yeah. most important, and if like work ever felt like it was clouding that in any way, or if it was um, um, crowding that in any way, we've always been able to. Um, push that aside and just be best friends really That's which has great. been important yeah, yeah it's super i mean i work with two best friends too and it's yeah. like it gets contentious at times because you know sometimes with three is a tricky number to begin with but yeah. when you're talking about story and character and theme you know if like i said it's going to be like two against one a lot of the times with a three-person you know team and i think so writing with one-on-one -on -one with your best friends probably more intense than that even at some point yeah yeah we've been through so much together too i mean she's really like a sister to me so like uh we just wrote a movie together last year, uh, which was supposed to be getting made this fall. Uh, Dayton and Ferris are directing. That's awesome. And um, it was so nice to be with her and to be, you know, full blown adults like middle aged people and sit down. And after everything we've been through, it felt like, um, you know, emotionally and thematically, it felt like a nice sort of like sequel for us to Celeste and Jesse Forever. It's not an actual sequel, yeah. but just it felt like it's it's a relationship comedy. Um, the band is back together. Yeah, it felt good, and we we've both been through so much, you know, and um, and it just felt nice to to meet each other in this way as adults and say, you know, because we've been you know we've been together for like twenty five years, you know, working together, and you know, that's incredible. Yeah, where I guess I'm again I'm jumping around, but yeah, what was the process for Toy Story four, which is incredible unto itself, but you know incredible just yeah like, how does that happen 
you know, they had they they screened Celeste and Jesse Forever up at Pixar. Cool. And so yeah, that was super exciting. They they flew Rashida and I up um to like show it to like the whole company, like a company, John Lasseter, totally. everybody here, all hands on. Totally. Yeah. They do a screening and we did a Q and a after Burbank to Oakland, the car picks you up. They screen the movie. <laughs> so gangster. They give you a Lotso bear on the way out. <laughs> I mean, it's just like fun. The food is great. The big Olympic size swimming pool. Um, it seems like utopic, uh-huh. you know, until. Yeah. Until you get the, <laughs> until you get the job. <laughs> But no, it was great. I was flattered that they um, they liked the movie and they said, you know, we're interested in you guys for for another picture. And um, we were like, cool, you know. But they were like, you can't even tell your agent. And it was super top secret. In that moment at the screening or, at, or during that trip, rather? No, on a subsequent trip up there to interview with, um, it was actually Lassiter. Got it. Yeah. And, um, and then, um, you know, we were walking out of the lobby and- we, they told they you know they told us that we got the job and it was big. I mean you know, but they're like, can we validate? By the way, you're writing Toy Story four. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I I was like, fuck, this is a you know this is like a two hundred and fifty million dollar movie, and I I don't want to blow this. And the the trilogy had meant so much to me. Yeah. And when they wanted to do a fourth, I thought that's a bad idea. Like that feels like a cash grab. Now I just feel like they should do 10. Yeah. Because the characters are great. It should be like Star Wars. This you know? morning I watched, I didn't even know these existed. It was Toy Story like TV show kind of that sure. they have where they do like 20 minute episode Disney adventures. Plus. Yeah, they're great. Yeah. I mean, look, they're doing whatever they can yeah. over there to, you know, not get clobbered <laughs> by Netflix. Yeah. But um, uh, yeah, and um, it was, um, look, my my time at, my time at Pixar was was complicated. Yeah, you know, um, it always all of these places are. I mean, giant corporation that makes billions of dollars. What do you think? Yeah, is happening. Yeah. you know, like um, with that said, um, I learned more about screenwriting in my two years there than maybe I ever have. Like I was, I was literally locked in a room with Michael Arndt, who's one of the sweetest, most thoughtful, most creative storytellers ever. Like. Andrew Stanton is mm-hmm. super talented. Um, Pete Doctor is, Legendary. you know, straight up genius. Domi yeah. Shi, um, who did Turning Red, is a genius. Like, there's so many That's people right. there that I just was. I was a sponge, and I learned a, a ton about screenwriting. And I'm I'm grateful for my time there overall. Did you guys have to like? What, I guess my question is: Do you did you have to pitch anything to them, or they just like loved you guys, and they're like, "Hey, so here's what we're thinking." They they loved our vibe. Um, like, did they have a story idea, like a general loose loose? But I remember we brought like Casablanca to the mix, <laughs> thinking like awesome. this is like a refugee spot for toys, and you know that sort of helped inform um, that world. But you know. It's a big, you know, one of the reasons why they've been so successful making, you know, some of the most iconic animated films ever is that, you know, they have this creative think tank and it's it's story by committee and they really get in there and they chop it up. You know, their movies are, the last couple have really struggled and I think that they yeah. might have to like rethink. Yeah. We're talking about Elemental, et cetera. Elemental and all those, I mean, you know, they take so long to make yeah. and they cost so much, mm. but you know, their movies take years and they really are so 
scrupulous and fastidious and thoughtful and and they they take their time and that's why they're good. I don't think people are making movies now faster, cheaper, some might say better. Yeah. Um so, you know, I'm glad I'm not in charge of figuring out how to do that up there, but um it was it was, you know, they're they're incredible storytellers there and I'm I'm grateful for my time there. That's amazing. Yeah. And uh, can I can I ask you a few more Toy Story sure. questions, Will? Just like, do they is the same? Is it the process the same when it's computer generated animation? Like, are there animatics? Like, how do you like? Would you see sequences and then you would rewrite it, or was it you know a lot of board artists sometimes like they sort of drive story in a weird way on depending on what project it is in the animation? Yes, and that was a that was an interesting moment for me because <sighs> it moves so fast, and that's what was hard. You think like, oh, these movies take. Five, that movie I think took five and a half years. Oh my God! But but the actual you know we were turning around. It's not in the WJ either. No, it's <laughs> so, oh, so that was a IATSE movie. Yeah, I mean it's so you know you're turning around pages in a day. You're like you're turning around fifteen pages and seeing new sequences. And I think that there, I think that how do I say this? Um, for the most part, I think animators and animation studios story drives the movie rather than writers driving the story, which makes the movie. Yep. And I think that they've always been finding their balance there. And I think it is delicate um, because so many great ideas come from board artists where you're like, Oh my God, I never would have thought of that. But so much of like, I, I, you know, I, I write a lot of animation now and, um, and, and I, I have a really good idea of like what I want to say. And um, I think that that can help eliminate, um, a lot of um, waste and time where you don't have the money. There they do have the money or did. Yeah. But um, I think that that sort of relationship between writer and an artist is really interesting. I mean, it's really like writer and actor. Yeah. Um, and that dance between the two, or director and actor, I should say, or writer, director, and actor. But um, yeah, we would see it and then and get it up and then write it again and get it so up. So were you and write like again. sleeping in the office? This sounds like you were just like you know they in golden handcuffs. Yeah, they do these things called you know they they do several screenings um, throughout the way um, along the way, and um, so you'll see different bits of it that have these big screenings along the way. I think around six before you know you actually see the full film. Um, but yeah, it's it's intense. It's a really intense place to work. Sounds like it. Yeah. But also probably, you know, like you said, it was probably a wonderful honor, but also, you know, with like everything, it's complicated. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, I was able to work with some really, really creative, um, incredible people, but you know, it's also a gigantic movie that makes, you know, a billion dollars and yeah. all that comes with it is, it's hard. It's business. And, yeah. you know, I think that's also like, um, the hard part about working in the, one of the difficult things about working in the entertainment business is, you know, you're, you, you know, we get, we get paid, you know, we make money and we're successful when, you know, we're vulnerable when we open our hearts and we're able to, you know, say difficult things and, and render them in, in story. Right. Yeah. Like that's, I mean, that's how, that's my business. You know, no one tells you that they don't care like they'll 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 kill you, you know. Like this is they're about making money. Yeah. Like they're like, dude, we're we're making this to sell fucking Happy Meal toys. One hundred percent. I'm I'm not even saying about Pixar. I'm just thinking about no, the, the movie yeah. business. Generally, it's like, yeah. It's like Wall Street, you know. Like when you go to Goldman Sachs, no one, you know. It's it's it, this is a big big business. Yeah. Um, which is why the older I get, I keep 
you know, coming back to indie film, which is why I got into it, this whole this, thing. A hundred percent. The movies that I loved growing up, whether it was Swingers or Pulp Fiction or Linklater movies, like those movies barely get made anymore. Once in a while, uh, you know, a couple slip through and you'll, you know, A24 has been trying to make all the weird indie movies that I loved, but... It's coming back, though, dude. I hope. I hope so, because, you know, for a while, all these big studios had these independent shingles, like Paramount Vantage and Warner Independent, and, and I just want, like, those are my favorite movies. It's coming back. Good. It's a renaissance. It has Good. to. Please. It has to. What's wrong with the $6 million movie that makes thirty-five? Nothing. I want to be in that business. Uh, me too. What's wrong with Shaun of the Dead? Nothing. Like it's great. Yeah. Yeah. It's lucrative. It's lucrative enough. You know, it just, everyone got so um, greedy. You know, it's greed. You know, it, why make a, why make five $30 million movies when you could make one $250 million movie that makes $1.5 billion? You know, it just, but I, I think it will come back and I think it's coming back now. I feel the tide turning. Good. Good. Because yeah. I, I really, I would love nothing more than another renaissance of like, you know, the Miramax heyday sans Weinstein brothers. Sure. Like, yeah. You know, yeah. The, I could name a hundred thousand movies and they're all independent. And so it's really nice to hear that, you know, you sort of see the forest with the trees that it's coming back. I really, I, I don't think it's just wishful thinking. I see signs of it and I see signs of it in my own business. Um, and not just the business at large, but I, I, I have to hope for that. And, um, I have to drive towards that. And that's why I got into this in the first place. And, um, you know, I, I don't go to movies to escape from the world. I go to movies to tr- sort of try to figure out why I'm in the world. And those are the projects like I have to work on. And those are the projects I think that people need. And I will always believe that there is a business for that. And I always believe that they can and will be successful. Yeah. And so if the business is not making those, we have to make them and the business will wake up to us. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, every time someone makes something spectacular, whether it's Fleabag or The Hangover, it's like, oh, we need hangovers. Right. We need Fleabags. We need, you know, and it's totally. like, I think that that's it's truthful. And that's why so many people love Fleabag. It was different and you hadn't seen anything like that. And she was saying really serious shit about femininity and women yeah. and motherhood. And, <clears throat> and so anytime you can, you know, be original without having to adhere to like a, a Marvel movie structure yeah. while trying to have some, you know, kernel of originality in there, I'm, Pleased to hear that, Will. Yeah, Fleabag is a masterpiece. It's like, can't imagine anything better than that season, too. But yeah, usually the story that, you know, you're afraid to tell is the one you should write because that's the one that people need to hear. And we just have to sit down and do it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I want to, I listen, I'm not going to like get into TMI here, but like when I was at sleepaway camp and I was like 11, 10, some kid like kind of sexually assaulted me, not a counselor mm-hmm. or like, and it didn't get gnarly, mm-hmm. but like it almost did. Mm-hmm. And it's affected me for so long. And mm-hmm. I've always wanted to write about it, but I've always mm-hmm. been afraid to, because like it will open all these doors of this traumatic thing. And I don't want to let like Hollywood, which has an ability to just like commodify and glom mm-hmm. onto the worst parts of something like into that. But I know eventually like, I need to write that story because mm-hmm. I've been thinking about it since it happened and I was 12 and, um, you know, uh, it's not, it does, it, I don't, it doesn't like make me who I am, but like sure. a big part of me, I think became who I am because that happened to me. You know, when, yeah. when you're, 
when I was 12 at this sleepaway camp, when this thing happened, like I didn't, it was like an eight, eight week sleepaway camp. I stopped going to activities and like, we just like walk around this gigantic sleepaway camp and main listening to music. And everyone was like, what's wrong with house Vetter? Like he just mm-hmm. listens to the coolest soundtrack on his disc. Man. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, cause I'm dealing with fucking serious shit as a 12 year old. And you know, later in life I've, I've learned to sort of make light of it or make a joke about it. Like, you know, my friends know, and we talk about it on occasion and it comes up. Um, and I think had it been more serious, it probably would not be like that. Sure. Um, but that is something that I think about writing all the time. And it's just like, I'm waiting for my Spielberg moment where it's like, all right, enough. I need to write the fable men's or like, yeah. I, you know, it's, yeah, I'm sorry that happened. And thank you for sharing that with me. And even you vocalizing that here help helps people. Yeah. Because it's, it, it, um, it takes away shame. Yeah. And shame is what, you know, is is when people kill themselves. <laughs> yeah. And like, I'm afraid, you know, like I'm afraid of like, okay, so I will write this thing and then I'm going to send it to my managers and my agents and like, you know, they're different personalities and then they're going to see me as a different person. And for a long time, like I really thought that what had happened then made me gay. Truly. Right. I thought that that meant like it was an all boys camp. Right. And so I thought like, Oh, I'm gay now. Yeah. And the way that this story escalates is like, I wrote this like letter to God or whatever my idea was about it when I was 12, when I got home from sleepaway camp, basically asking like, please help me forget that this event ever happened. My mom found this letter like months into the school year, like under my bed, and she thought like the worst. You know, she mm-hmm. thought some counselor at camp had got it. I don't even want yeah. to say. Yeah. Um, and uh, when I explained to her what happened, God bless her, she was like, well, Matt, when I was 13, me and a bunch of girls, we found a bunch of bear shit in the woods, and we put it on sticks and ran around the woods with shit on it. I right. was like, Mom, I love you. This is different. But this does not hold a candle to... Right. Um, this experience, but I know that I will hopefully write something moving, moving about it that helps someone else who may be dealing with something more serious. It's just when I can find the guts to, you know, you already have them. I'm really proud of you and who you are and who you've become. Look at your life. It is pretty, it is. I try, you know, every single day in the grind, like I have find it very hard not to like compare myself to others or, you know, I need to be doing more. I need to do this or, and obviously right now we're in a strike. So it's like mm-hmm. my grind part of my brain has sort of quelled itself a bit. Um, but it is, it is fucking hard to be brave and do what we do. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and it's also a gift. Yeah. I it's, feel very lucky, you know? Yeah. It's a privilege. Yeah. It's a privilege to be able to, you know, the fact that you're even, you know, talking about writing that is inspiring to me. Thank you. You know, like, yeah, if you're able to share, you know, the things that are, are you know, hurt you, then I, it makes my life a, a little easier to bear. And I think that that's what storytelling is. It's like, you know, it's a way for us to connect. And for me, it was like, it sounds dramatic, but like it's, it's, it was a way for me to be in the world, and um, which is hard. Yeah, you know, and for me, I feel so grateful that I was able to find, find, you know, film and TV because, you know, it was a way to 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 just be here, and I want to be here. You know, Will, what led you to? Um, if anything happens, I love you. You know, it's funny that you, you know, just you bringing up your your personal experience at camp. It's like um, that was a project that uh, I developed with my friend Michael Govier, who's super talented, but. My wife, my wife, the other day, she was with one of her friends, and she was saying, "Like, what is what is your husband write?" And she was like, "I couldn't, I couldn't describe what you write." And I was like, "Yeah, I don't. I guess, I, I guess I'm interested in like loss, you know, yeah. like how do we endure it? How do we survive it? 
how do we maybe prevail? Like, you know, I mean, even Celeste and Jesse Forever was like, that was about, you think your life is going to go one way yeah. and then it doesn't. That's a trauma. Yep. <laughs> it's funny, you know, like I want to hear the gold, you know, but I, I was becoming a dad um, at that time and it was just like incomprehensible to me that you could send your kid to school and that they wouldn't come home. Like I just, it fucked me up. Like yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't handle it. And so we just started to write about it. And um, my buddy had that beautiful um, shadow idea. And that really was the moment where we think we found our story. But um, it was just something that, it was an artistic rant. Like it came from a place of like, how do you, how do you do that? Like, you know, when when your parent dies, you bury them in the ground. And when your child dies, you bury them in your heart. Oh my God. And that happens all the time. Literally all the time, yeah. every day, everywhere. And it's become something that has been, you know, it's been normalized in a way because it's just become common. And so I wanted to, we wanted to attack this story from a place of like, what, what would that, what, what could, what could that feel like? And it, again, it was like the kind of thing that, you know, we raised a little bit of money we had an animatic that was beautiful and people would watch the animatic and get really emotional. And they would say like, Hey man, this is really beautiful, but, um, nobody's going to want to watch this. Like, this is the kind of animation that nobody's going to want to see. And I was like, I just, I don't. I don't think that that's true because you're I, you're crying. Yeah. So, so something it's working. Some, something's happening. Yeah, it worked. Yeah, like we're we're feeling something here. Yeah. Like, and then um, you know we 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 went sort of the festival route and we had like an an Oscar qualifying festivals we won. We had a couple we won and um, I got Laura Dern who's the greatest to um, executive produce it and um, you know, Netflix turned down the movie twice and then on the third try you know with the help of our incredible executive producers laura dern and jamie lemons you know netflix picked up the movie incredible and um third time's a charm third time's a charm yeah and it um it became a viral tiktok sensation so the i had no idea it it what you before the, how does that happen it, i don't know it was a miracle the movie dropped on netflix and then my niece called me and she said, Uncle Will, your movie's trending on TikTok. And I was like, I don't speak TikTok. Like, I didn't even have TikTok <laughs> yeah. on my phone at that time. And I downloaded TikTok and I put in, um, I typed in, if anything happens, I love you. And there was this cool teenage girl, I think in New Jersey, who started and if anything happens, I love you challenge, where you try to get through the movie without crying. And you show your face before the movie, halfway through the movie, and then after the movie. And it had like a million hashtags. And then five, and then 10, and then 15, and then 20, and then 40, and oh then 60, God. and then 70. I think it's like up at 90 now. But it became the number one movie in the world on Netflix in like 17 countries. And um, it became an international phenomenon. Yeah, all all from a movie that Hollywood said um, couldn't. I've never I've never worked on a project that was rejected more than that. 
And, and, uh, and I mean, it just goes to show you. I mean, yeah. And that's what gave you, some might say, your biggest success yet. For sure. Undoubtedly. You know, the film won the Academy Award and um, I was able to, um, you know, we, yeah. It was, I remember watching. Yeah. Can I ask you a bit about that? Because sure. this, is such a, this is such a thankless job when you do get acknowledged. Yeah. Um, and also, it was that bizarro Oscars that was the COVID Oscars, right? Yeah. Is that where you guys were like sitting in that little round cocktail tables yes. downtown? Yes. Yeah. What? So, what was that like? Like, just you can even take me through just like the you know the pomp and circumstance of getting dressed and getting ready. The day you found out you were nominated, like, were you ecstatic? Like, and also, it, it must be it's it's complicated because it's a movie that is dealing with some with such heavy subject matter yeah you know that it it might in a way like obviously it's it's great to celebrate it but it's it's not like you are celebrating something that is joyous to begin with yeah you know? yeah yeah you know um but but it was it, in a way i i had connected with so many parents who'd lost kids um and also connected with them as we were building the screenplay in the movie um, we work with Every Town for Gun Safety, and I talk to just so many moms and dads. Oh, um, God bless you, Will. Yeah, who'd lost their kids. So it was it was heavy, man. It was heavy in that way um, and will always be heavy, but it was also so rewarding for to talk to these parents who say, like, you know, your movie, it got it. You got it. Like, this is this is how it felt, you know, like... It was unbearable, but you know, and that that was so rewarding, but heavy. Yeah, you know, um, but yeah, when the film when the film got not nominated, I was so excited, and I was so excited that more people would get the yeah. opportunity to see the film. Absolutely, and you know, selfishly, I had grown up watching the Academy Awards. I'd never missed one, and I was like, yeah, I'm I'm going to the Oscars. Amazing. You know, my wife and I are going to get dressed up and go to the Oscars, and it was it was fun, man. I mean. You know, it's a little bit nerve wracking to win, um, because you're like, "Oh shit, I'm about to speak to like the entire world." Yes, <laughs> yes, and um, literally, it's like you're more important than any president in that moment because everybody's watching you, right? <laughs> like in right. Times Square, they're looking up at you like the Truman Show, right? And I felt, you know, I felt so relaxed in the audience, honestly, until we won. Um, and, and you know, I had talked to so many people who'd lost their children, I sh could surely go on stage yeah. and talk for, you know, a minute and about a uh, an art award. Yeah. Like, it feels like when you put it in context, yeah, it's absolutely. really silly. Yeah. Um, but when we, when they announced our film, they tell you they you have like a minute. And um, by the way, question, does it admit in it start when you get on the podium or from the moment they announce your name? Great question. <laughs> it starts when you get up from your seat. Oh, my God. <laughs> so my buddy went first. And um, by the time we got to my part, um, the buzzer was on zero <laughs> and the light was blinking. And um, I ended up dropping a line from my speech and neglecting to thank a couple people who were like really important yeah. to me. And I came off stage, and I was awful to myself. And this woman- Oh, you're beating yourself up? Oh, my God, oh. dude. I was saying the meanest things possible I could ever say. And I texted them all immediately, and they were like, dude, get over it. Like, it, I was, like, looking for a chance to, like, you know, not be good to myself. Yeah. But all in all, I got over it, and- um, it was it was the best. I mean, you know, it's like being George Bailey. You know, it's like the moment in your life where everyone comes as a savings and loan. I had like 
teachers reaching out to me from third grade and like, you know, kids I had played little league with. And, um, it was like, I felt so lucky, you know, I've had so many people along the way, like help me. Yeah. You know, like I've, I've, I felt so like loved. It's not often, you know, I think you get that like at your funeral and you're dead. Yeah. But um, this was in real time. It was like, you know, it was so, I felt so lucky to feel like I had been so loved. You know, it was great. That's beautiful. Yeah. After the Oscars, Vanity Fair party, and then in and out, or it was COVID. Like, so how do you, where do you dude, go after? No Vanity Fair party that year. That's fucked up, dude. I know, which is like the only reason, not the only reason, but the best reason to go to the Vanity Fair party yeah. is to go there with your, your Academy Oscar. Award. Yeah, so you, yeah, of course. You want to end up on Wire Image the next day with Madonna and John Hamm or whomever. <laughs> <laughs> the funny part is I've been going to the Vanity Fair party since I was like, you know, catering in the 90s because my friend Krista Smith who's a legend was the West Coast editor of Vanity Fair forever and she would always you know invite me to the party and um, that was the one year that there wasn't <laughs> but you know we went to um in and out I got a veggie burger and um it was great it was yeah, yeah. I think yeah I think I may have seen a picture of you and, and Emily at in and out burger which is why that's like seared yeah. in my brain yeah but that's so awesome oh my god yeah where does the Oscar live now? Right when you walk in the door, it's the first thing you see. I hope it is. 100%. I think you told me this, and I told you it should be your door knocker. <laughs> like, why even wait to get them in the house? Look, I'm from New Jersey. I worked at Foot Locker. I'm not pretending to be cooler <laughs> than the Academy Awards. When you walk in, it literally, it will, it, your eye will, it, like, it will blind you from the sunlight. It has a way so it reflect right off. Yeah, it glints yeah. in a way that yeah. you can't not and see. And whenever it. I'm able to get it, you know, whenever I get into any disagreement with Emily, I just say, like, babe, that, right. Do you I, have an Oscar? Because yeah. I do. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Emily. Oh. I'm so annoying. Oh. Yeah, no, it's on our, uh, it's on our bookshelf in the living room. Incredible. Yeah. Um, obviously we're in this weird moment of Hollywood, but like, what have you been up to recently? Or like, what are you excited about when this does end, uh, to get back to, you know, I have a, um, I mean, right now I've been spending so much time with my kids yeah, and I feel so lucky to, to be there for yeah. them and with them. They're the best. Yeah. I love They're very the, cute by the way. And well-dressed. Thank you. Love Sonny's attire. Oh man. He's got a little style. Mm -hmm. Um, I um I just love being a dad and um I'm just, I feel like I'm like watching a lot of films right now but I mean I'm definitely writing a movie right now yeah I mean I have to yeah like I'm writing a movie at night yeah I'm writing a horror comedy that I'm gonna shoot Amazing. in L A next year in spring for six million dollars and it's gonna like we're we're I'm gonna set it up after it's like I have right. to write I know I can't not like, work I try I tried for like two months and now when we hit the three month mark I was like I'm back I need yeah. to do something productive at night yeah we can pick it in the day but we can totally write in our offices at yeah. night that's yeah. legal right yeah it's, they didn't say they didn't say you couldn't <laughs> you know yeah um, but I'm excited about that and you know Rashida and I have a um, we have a production company. We would deal with like Lionsgate. Yeah. We have a bunch of TV shows we we're ready to go out with. Um, and, you know, I just, I keep wanting to like try to make work. Like I'm, I still love this thing, you know? Yeah. I think I love it more as I get older and I have more gratitude for when good things happen because it's really, really hard. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, you know, the, the other thing I, I think is like the thing that I'm looking for in, in my work and, and, that I strive for is that moment of surprise, you know, like, and I think it, it's connected to loss and like that thing in life, like, you know, how, how do we 
endure loss and how do we survive it and how do we prevail? There, there's those moments that happen in life that you can't predict that you 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 never think will happen, but you know inexorably they do. And I think that in those moments are when we get to be you know really human and really courageous yeah. and um, really vulnerable and those moments I think like I'm looking for when I write and I think as I've gotten older like the moment where I don't know what I'm gonna say next when I'm writing or what's gonna happen next like that moment of surprise yeah. is 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 the thing that's exciting to me and that's I think I'm like starting to approach that and feel comfortable with that. And that moment that happens in the work is really exciting for me. When you feel like I don't know what's going to happen next and you're able to walk into that moment. And that feels like a, there's a direct connection to that moment in life. And I think that I'm trying to do that when I'm working. That, that, that's great setup to my next question is like when you are, so for example, this horror comedy, do you, do like a beat board first or an outline or like what's your process when you take on a new story? I'm writing this horror comedy movie with my buddy who I made the the animated short film with. Um, if anything happens, I love you. Board like a maniac, dude. <laughs> maniac. Like digital board, cork board, cork white board. board. What kind of board? Cork board cards, dude. Okay. Cork board cards. So your card man, multicolored cards or multicolored all... cards. Are they... we are we categorizing these according to character, story, theme, act? act. Okay, act. Okay. Yeah, um, and it's just for fun, really. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I don't have to, yeah. but I want to. Yeah. You know, and then and then uh, to an outline. Yep. So board outline, and then what? That's the hard part. Yeah. Then the writing's fun. Yeah, I know. Then we're freestyling. I know. Then then we can get lost. Yeah. Because we got the map. Yes. We know where we're going. Yeah. Like, it's all good. That's the hardest part <clears throat> for me is like beating out the thing when you're like, I know how it ends. I know how the setup. Yeah. But like fucking 2A and 2B are always where I'm like, yeah. God fucking damn it. Yeah. You know, at, at Pixar, they used to say like, you know, writing a movie is like climbing a mountain. And that's not the hard part. It's it's figuring out which mountain to climb. Mm. And that is like, if you know what mountain you're going to climb, the climbing is can be enjoyable. Yeah. Like you have water, cliff bars, you can stop and look. Yeah. Once I know what mountain I'm on, then I'm like, okay, I know what we're doing here. I know where to go. I know yeah. what routes. It's just like, like you said, like looking at that blank board and being like, okay, well, I have an amazing idea. It's like, how do we get from point A to Z? Yeah. Which, yeah. by the way, I believe you were an, e an, a an EP on... Uh... A to Z. <laughs> nice, <laughs> dude. Deep cut. Ben yeah. Queen, yeah. He rules. Yeah. Yeah, it was a great show. Yeah, it was. Underrated. I, honestly, I'm surprised it didn't get more seasons. Underrated, yeah. That was back when there was still a glimmer of hope for network TV, unless you're Abbott Elementary now. Which, right. Yeah. Or Young Sheldon. That's right. That's right. They're stacking chips. Do you, guys, do you still develop network comedies ever? I mean, I know you guys did Claws. I know you're big in the streaming development, but like, do you guys still ever like want to do like a traditional multicam or single cam or? 100%. Yeah. Would love to, would love to do another multicam. In fact, we're looking at something right now. Oh. Yeah. That we are, we are developing a multicam. Cool. Right now. Yeah. Awesome. Workplace. Are you allowed to talk about it at all? Um, more like. Uh, apartment building Classic. life. Okay. Yeah. Two guys, a girl, and a pizza place. <laughs> Got it. Actually, <laughs> sort of, yeah. Great. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Great. Yeah. 
But no, um, yeah, I'm down for everything. I'm also basically just trying to work with people who I want to be near and who yeah. inspire me. Yeah, I like, think that's the key is if you're having fun working, you're, you know, like yeah. how hard could it be and like how awful. Like that's the, I've always, I truly think like, yes, yeah, so much of what we do is like a solitary by myself, but it is kind of like a team sport in a way because, you know, I ask friends to read stuff. If I get stuck, I'll call my writer friends and be like, what would you do here? And so like, I really do feel like you do need somewhat of a community to do this. 100 yeah, it and helps. you have Rashida, which is probably wonderful. Yeah, I have, I have, you know, I have a community here of people who I like, love, and trust, and it makes a difference. Will, is there any advice you would uh, give to like someone who's really just starting out, whether it's for acting or writing or just pursuing a career in the arts? Is there anything that you wish someone had told you when you were twelve, drinking wine coolers? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, I think it's so important to try to find people that you want to work with and try to work with them. Yeah. Like whose work do you love? Who inspires you? And if you can't work with them, work for them or near them until you're working with them. Yeah. Like find people whose work moves you, inspires you and just do anything you can to, you know, just try to be near them, you know? But I would also say like what I said earlier is like, you know, really try to write the thing that's terrifying. Yeah. Like that thing inside you that you feel um, keeps you up at night that scares you. I really think that that's the story that will make a difference because it's terrifying. And yeah. this shit is terrifying, you know, like, you know, last year my dad died and my son was born back to back. That was so fucking real. Like I'm the type of guy who needs movies and needs your story like i i'm trying you know like we're all it's the, we need those stories you know yeah so i would say like the the thing that you're that you're reluctant to write just dig into it yeah and then the most important thing do not wait for anybody i'm just learning this now and i'm just turned 90 <laughs> do not wait for anybody to make your work Make it yourself. It's great advice, truly. Make the thing. It does not matter. You can. There are no excuses. No one's going to come and knock on your door and say, like, do you have a screenplay to read? Can I read it? Oh, it's great. Let me find you financing. Oh, let me find a cinematographer. Go and just make the thing. And I guarantee you, you will learn more in that making of it than you will in the 20 years sitting around thinking about the thing that you want to make. It's an incredible point. And I think so much of what we do is actually also producing of realizing like, this is how the puzzle pieces fit. So-and-so has a deal at so-and-so. And I know that they love whatever this screen, like you got to be able to, 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 to do that as well as right. Dude, 100. Like, it's, that's the other thing they don't tell you when you become a professional screenwriter is how much producing you do. Yeah. Like, you have to. Yeah. And by the way, I've been writing for so fucking long now that every I'm directing everything I write on the page yeah. and, and now in life too, hopefully. But yeah. like, you're, you're think, I, I, know, I know where the camera is. You know why? I wrote the scene. I've been thinking about it for a year. So the longer one writes... The longer you know how to direct, you know how to edit, you know, because you're, you've are you written the scene, you're yeah. in it, you know? And that's not to say that there are there are people who can come in and interpret your work, but you can do it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's like writers, we've severely undervalued our power. 
I couldn't agree more. Like, not enough. I mean, like, it's so obvious, but, like, literally nothing happens unless you sit in front of your fucking computer one night. Dude, it's, 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 it, to me, in the business, it's the hardest thing to do. And I just think that historically, and hopefully this is changing, we have not given ourselves enough credit, and, and, and that's why the world hasn't. We need to take back our, our power here and, like, if you've ever written anything and you've walked onto a set and you've seen the trucks, that's amazing. Yeah. Like that didn't happen without you sitting down and writing about that thing that was really difficult to write. Yeah. You know, like that's an incredible thing. Yeah. That's why we do it. Fuck, dude. Let's get out there and pick it right now. Will, you fired me up. Thank you so much for coming to do this. I really do appreciate you, man. Thank you, man. It took a minute. I it's was okay. like, everyone's busy, you know? I mean, no, it took oh, a for minute me for to... you to invite me. I literally, listen, listen, I ran into you at Color Me Mine at a <laughs> party in Beverly Hills and literally had to beg to be on the podcast. You've done like 70. I've done 25. And, and, and after 70, you were like, maybe I'll ask McCormick. No, listen, listen. The truth is, is I always have this insecurity that like nobody wants to be episode seven. Nobody wants to be episode 12. Like you need to like build a library before people want to do this. At least was my fear. And also, you know, you are someone to, that is not, you're not intimidating because you're so nice, but like you have had a wonderful career. And so I thought like, I have this fear that like the people who are just like, you know, that I want to emulate that I want to be, they're going to be like, I don't want to do your fucking podcast you know like i have this own insecurity and so i was afraid to ask but when you brought it up i was like oh god here's my moment i'm i'm honored and you know uh you're kindred spirit and i, I love what you're doing i love the show thank you happy fun you're the first gonna... oscar winner by the way like you know yeah it's, but... uh, it's a little <laughs> <laughs> they are they are rare true you know, they're rare yeah like you know i like to you know i like to remind people that you know tom cruise <laughs> right None. Uh, Roberto Benigne. <laughs> like we can just we can just rattle off names. Cruise no Oscars. That's nuts. Nuts, dude. Whenever I'm reminded of that, I'm like, that's a Shonda, as the Jews would say. That's <laughs> fucked up. He deserves one. I would have given him. What would you have given him one for? Uh, Boogie Nights. Okay. Oh, you mean Magnolia? I'm sorry, Magnolia. No, okay. yeah. I was like, did I miss? Something? No, no, no. Uh, Magnolia. Magnolia. He was so good, real good. Um, I may have in this drawer uh, uh, the prop master on the Adam Sandler movies that I started my career PAing on was also PTA's prop master. No way. And so he gave me a certain like, how do you measure up, like tame the cock or whatever? <laughs> he gave me like a ruler from Frank T.J. Mackey oh that I may God. still have in this drawer. I believe yeah. it somewhere. So Magnolia. Or yeah, I mean, I think Jerry I'm, Maguire. Uh, not no, like a nom, but maybe Born on the Fourth of July. Never saw that. Whoa. Is that fucked? It's, I've seen the really scene, good. but I haven't yeah. seen the movie. Yeah, Risky um, Business to me is still like the best teen sex movie like ever. The greatest ever, ever, yeah. ever, ever, ever. Yeah, Rebecca Zamorne. Oh my god. Yeah, that I mean, Tangerine Dream. That <laughs> score. Yes, and it's been used recently in like other shows, and I turn to my wife. I'm like, "That's fucking Tangerine Dream!" Like, yeah. they're ripping this. Up. She's like, "Shut the yeah. fuck up! I don't care, man." Yeah, I say that. Um, I say that all the time. Looks like it's University of Illinois. Oh my god! Yeah, I do. That. Yeah. <laughs> I say that too. That's so fucking funny. <laughs> yeah, 
but yeah. like I've always I've always been curious of like of all the shitty things that we've rebooted. Like, why has someone not done like Tom Cruise is fifty, his kids are like his wife is taking his kids to college, and like he has the house to himself as an adult, right? And sort of like, what would I do now that I have a kid and I am home alone for forty eight hours? Like, is there something there? But that one maybe just don't touch. No. It's no, too good. When I think of Rebecca DeWarnay just then, it makes me think of Harry Dean Stanton because they dated, and I think she, I think Rebecca DeWarnay like then dated Tom Cruise when she went to go to Risky Business, but uh, she was dating Harry. Interesting. And I was great friends with Harry Dean Stanton. I this is we may need to have you back, Will, when, like because we're just we're just getting into the iceberg. In, in high school, my favorite movie was Paris, Texas. I've seen it a hundred times. And when I moved to LA, my sister was like, you'll never guess who's my next door neighbor. It's Harry Dean Stanton. I literally walked over, knocked on the door. I Did you tip fanboy? I f- sat down and just started drinking whiskey <laughs> and chain smoking. And we watched movies for years. That's great. Like I didn't leave. Good for you, Will. The greatest. That's what it takes. Just knock on the door. Stories about Brando. I mean, oh the greatest. Yeah. God. Yeah, one of the great American actors. Well, Will, I hope you come back. I would love to. Thank you just you. have to invite me. I will. I yeah. promise. I promise. I promise. Thank you for finally having me on your show. <laughs> Thank you for coming. I really yeah. appreciate it. All right, man. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.